Fort McMurray and Alberta have, over the years, before this week's appalling inferno, reached into the lives and improved the fortunes of hundreds and thousands of Canadians in every province. That deserves underlining at this moment. I'll be personal for a second. For example, when Newfoundlanders were crawling out of the shock and misery of the cod collapse, Fort McMurray was like a rescue centre. Newfoundlanders in droves left house and home and went west. And as was the Albertan Fort Mac way, when people are hurting, all are welcome. Some of these were real friends of mine, and I know at their most difficult moments how much the Alberta welcome meant to them. It told me something. If you want to know, really know, what it means to be a true neighbour ready to help in hard times, go to Alberta. It's the Prairie Code, and in our best times, it's the Canadian Code too. Every citizen is your neighbour. So here's the real karma in the Fort Mac tragedy, and it's not karma at all. Albertans were good to all of us back then. Let us be good and better to them now. There can be nothing higher or more immediate on our national agenda as citizens or government than generating a perfect storm of goodwill and assistance for the people of Fort McMurray as they shoulder the multiple burdens, personal, economic, and psychological, of this woeful calamity. Every decent heart in this country has been torn by the staggering pictures coming out of that province. An entire city essentially wiped out in days. The terrible wind-shifting walls of wildfire. 88,000 people slow fleeing on the highway out. The terror and trauma of whole lifetimes being swallowed up in an instant. Families stranded between tears and fear. Tears for what has been so swiftly ripped from their lives, the homes, possessions, memories. Fear in the immediate moment of evacuation for life itself. I hesitate to say this because of the scale of the tragedy, but what commands even more awe are the smaller stories. The guys and gals with pickup trucks driving up and down the convoy with gas for stranded vehicles or food, water, words of comfort. The great sad face and greater character of the fire chief of Fort McMurray, Darby Allen. The young mother with her children in the grim cavalcade, she's weary, worried, but still so self-possessed. And another giving birth in a shelter. The Wild Rose leader, Brian Jean, and this is not political, losing his house in Fort Mac, but refusing to take a shelter bed and sleeping instead in the tent. The quite wonderful people of tiny grasslands, the natives of Fort Chip, reaching out in the family restaurant, cooking up a storm. And, of course, all the emergency people trying to manage the utterly unmanageable and managing it. No lives lost. Tragedy grinds the soul, but it also inspires. I cannot think of a place in Canada that has taken more shocks this last few years than Fort McMurray, or a people more severely bruised. But this is Alberta, remember. However high the flames, the spirit of the province is higher, brighter, and more enduring. Let the rest of us offer prayers and deeds in their support. But what, what they really propose is our next step in, in our, the next step in our social evolution.
Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. We are going to be talking to Philip Ivanov a little bit later about uh, Project Venus, which some of you might have heard Venus about. The Venus Project. The Venus Project, Project <laughs> Venus. You piped down over there. Um, yeah, so that should be good. And yeah, first, as always, Graham, may the fourth be with you, <gasps> Dunlop. That's tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, fuck, I just had a lisp there because yeah. Whenever I say that, I start talking with a lisp. I don't, I don't understand how fanboys haven't figured out that as Star Trek people push that because it makes fanboys sound like yeah, have a lisp. So tomorrow's May the fourth. May the 4th. Have you seen the trailer for... May the 4th be with you. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't sound tough. Have you seen the new trailer? Rogue, whatever it's called? No. Uh, The new Star Wars? mm -hmm. Or the new Star Trek? Star Wars. No. The new Star Trek comes out this summer, though. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, we should go together. Nah. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. If you play your cards right. I tried to get you to go to the movie the other night. The other night? Well, well, that was like back. six months. No, no, it was just the last movie I went to see, I think. What was it? Batman versus Superman. Yeah, I'm not going to see Ben Affleck. No chance. Oh, yeah, you boycotted <laughs> because of Ben Affleck. He, he did a good job, actually. No. I, yeah, you'll watch it at home, and he did a pretty good job. I think he did a great job. You know what I did watch that was pretty cool is uh, Deadpool. Yeah. Did you see it? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. I had a good laugh. See, it's really not appropriate for children. No. It was good, though. It was good. Genuine laughter. Like, not just simply, yeah. like, it was pretty funny. Yeah. Belly laughs. Well, I don't know about that. Oh, fuck. So, uh, what the fuck's up? How was your trip? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was great, actually. Yeah, I went to Cloudhead Games, uh, the virtual reality developer, and uh, played the demo. They had a launch party and played the demo. Of um, the gallery, call the Starseed. Um, got to experience some of the cinematic, like feeling like you're right inside a movie and playing this sort of puzzle, sort of eighties, sort of like Goonies meets uh, Dark Crystal or something like that. Going to this beach area and you're walking down in this like it's awesome. You're just right inside, Sounds right delightful. inside the game, walking around and. Yeah, it was it was cool. Was so they demo they had four the demo stations set up and um no, no no it's just you on an adventure to find your lost sister or something like that. So you never interact with you interact with characters animals? in the oh, game. Yeah, do yeah. they look like people? No, they're or more they're like characters? they're characters. Yeah, caricatures. Yeah, like one's called the Watcher. And at Nobody the end, can see your air quotes. The Watcher. Yeah, still can't see them. Okay. So, anyways, yeah, it was it was great, great experience. Good team, uh, good good bunch of people there. They had like 150 people there for the launch and in the studio and little Qualcomm Beach. Oh, what's what are you playing? What are you doing over there? I think I hit the trailer by mistake here, so I'll yeah. shut that off. <clears throat> so, yeah. Anyways, uh, what happened to you just a couple minutes ago? I think Darren has a synchronicity to tell. No, no synchronicity. He he got really excited. Researcher believes that this neurosynchronicity occurs when the brains of musicians playing together create a neurological meta network 
According to her, the phenomenon can be described as a kind of communal brain. Brain, 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 brain. Uh, can I guess? Can I guess before you even say it? What? Synchronicity? Yeah. You'd notice that somebody had dropped off um, our monthly subscription. Yeah. And he just tweeted you. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, he tweeted me probably at this very moment I was saying that he might be dead. Wow. And why would you say something like that? Because we had the running joke going, because we hadn't heard from him, and he hadn't written. He used to be, he used to write quite a bit. Right. And we hadn't heard from him for a bit, and we just dropped, we, he, we used to be in touch with him quite a bit, and then he just dropped off the face of the earth. We had the running gag going, that he must be okay, though, because his credit card payments were still going through on his <laughs> monthly subscription. And then today, or it wasn't today, but in the last week or so, it stopped. And right away, I was like, oh, no. And then now, just the second I told you that it stopped and that I was worried that something might have happened to him, he tweeted me within 30 seconds. Did you mention him? No. He tweeted, I used to write for their website, give them a listen, best paranormal new age podcast on the net. Who's that? About? Pato, about us. No, really? Because I tweeted the gif. Really? Yeah. Wow. Except he's not donating anymore. Or he got a new credit card. Right. Which just happened to me, actually. So get this. You want to hear a little story about that quickly? Ah, uh, sure. I didn't get a new one. I, I went to pay for my cat sitter and the, my credit card was declined. And I had a, I had a, robot, a robot call from the RBC security department that I thought was fake. Anyways, they blocked my card because I had a $2 and something charge from spirit air which didn't match my trending profile like i only use WestJet, so spirit air was just there and then they also tried some something there was no charge to to some sort of how'd some, you get to the island uh drove oh, oh you took the ferry yeah did you buy anything on the ferry I don't think, not with my card. No, like it's, I, I don't Spirit use it. Spirit Air seems like maybe a, I know, the name of a boat. I know, like for like a little trinket or something, right? Yeah, or but a yeah. bottle of water, three bucks. I paid three bucks for a bottle of water just the other day. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, but I don't think I would use my card for that. But anyway, so they noticed right away and blocked it. And of course now a new card has to be sent to me and I have to cancel all my subscriptions. So yeah, it happens. I was pissed off on the phone, but. I guess it was a good thing, really. Are you with me here, buddy? I'm always with you. That's the sad part. So, yeah, I, I, I know what it's like to have to redo all your monthly stuff. I guess you have to right now. I do. Hopefully the podcast doesn't go down as a result of your stolen <laughs> credit cards. Very, yeah, that could be a risk. <laughs> it's a possibility. So, do you want to? Should I talk about uh, some people that are donating and read you an email about that? Sure. So we we just jabber on a little bit here before the the show. We'll put uh, we always put a timestamp in the in the show notes to show where the interview starts in case people don't want to listen to this. They can just go ahead to the interview. 
I usually get into listener emails and UFO quotes and sometimes the odd, odd little story we, we tell. So, do you have a jingle for me there, Darren? Or? Uh, it's, you're going to have to bear with me. I don't have my jingle machine. What jingle? I guess just a spam gram jingle. Or no, actually, synchro too. He's he's kind of. I think he's talking about synchronicity. I don't think that's here, here, that. Here's what the jingle should be for: spamagram, moneygram, and don't forget the mamagram. That's this one. Is that his favorite? I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web, and Aaron is skeptical about everyone, and don't. Believe it yet. So I want to read this out. It's from Ponce. He's a Ponce. supporter of the show. <laughs> Friend of ours. He says, check it out, boys. I figured it out. And I think he lives down south somewhere traveling around. But anyways, I'll read this. This whole I'm gonna read his whole email out here because it's pretty funny. The whole thing? Do we have a we should have a, a pool going on how many words you're gonna fuck up? I say, I say three. Oh, that's pretty. Thanks, buddy. That's no okay. Problem. Should be able to do that. So he says, uh, the end of the mookery has come. I was finally able to unfuck my PayPal account. There's no need to open a $27 a month option. I saw the 22.22 and the 5.55 option and put them together. That makes it right for me. 27.77. That's a nice looking number. 27 and the two sevens. Which make what? The number nine. Nine's all around us, baby. I'm not looking for you to read this on the show, but as always, you may if you choose. Well, I choose. I don't Gross. donate for swag, though I like your stuff. I'd rock the save Sasquatch if I had to pick one or the classic Moai. Swag is good, on the other hand, and it gets you guys out there, and I would wear it with pride. I begrudge any sort of unsolicited advertising or branding and askew in all cases except your guys and other things I believe to fit within my ethic. So on that line of thought, a magnetic bumper sticker would be fucking awesome. Fuck it, send me anything you want. I don't give a fuck. And if you don't, that's cool as well. But a magnetic bumper sticker, that, my friends, I will place on my debt slave truck where God and everyone would be able to see what my white earbuds may be loudly exclaiming. This motherfucker is listening to the America show. He drives around with headphones, I guess. That's illegal. Some places, I, you, you get away with it in yeah, Vancouver. Like fucking lot. North America. Should be it should be okay to do that. What's the difference if you got use it cranked or you got your head your little earbuds in? There's a difference. Why? Because they don't have to be. What should be illegal is the um, the um, the finger the noise canceling ones. But if they're not noise canceling, you can hear everything, especially when you're listening to spoken word. No, it's a slippery slope. You're Why? Because right. one in fucking a hundred people are listening to spoken word. So instead, somebody has a car stereo, $2,000 car stereo cranked, and they can hear whatever you're supposed to hear on the road that's going to keep you safe? Like what, an ambulance or a police? Well, it's hard to, that's harder to enforce. So don't enforce the fucking headphones either. You know what? In Vancouver, they took the helmet law away from bicyclists because it's hard to enforce. Yeah, I know how to yeah. enforce it. You Common fucking, sense. when you hit him, hit him. Knock <laughs> out the back tire. Get away wearing a helmet, motherfucker. No? No. Tell me to get back to the email. My okay. jobs keep me traveling. In a way, I'm the professional vagabond. 
I work for a power company that does some of the coolest stuff I've ever seen. We work on big power lines, a.k.a. transmission lines that stitch up our nation's power grid together. The cool part of it is that we do it from a helicopter. It's becoming less and less obscure profession. So you may or may not have seen something like this up in your neck of the woods. I am the mechanic. I fix what the lineman or the pilot breaks on the bird. So I'm usually solitary, driving for long periods from one location to the next rendezvous with destiny. And not always the same truck, which is why I want the magnet. I was in the U.S. Army. That was kind of a shout-out to my bros and sisters from the 101 Airborne. And if they listen, and if you, Graham, are reading, anyway, I digest. So I listen to you or music when I drive to work. Not at home, though, because I don't want the chillings. Did it say digest? Yeah. I like that better than digress. Nobody cares. Anyways, he says uh, he doesn't want the chillings to be all running around and dropping F-bombs everywhere they go. That would be just uncivilized. I'll put your show on. Around others, if the Wait temperature is right. Did he just call me uncivilized? Yeah, probably. <laughs> no. <laughs> For children. I don't know how I you have flip, How do you turn the switch off when you're around your kids, or do you just drop F-bombs around them all the time? I'm pretty good. You go, you're really streaky. Yeah. You get in this weird mood where every second word is an F-bomb, but then sometimes, like tonight, you're fine. You're not dropping the F-bombs. Yeah, well, it doesn't change either. I'll be in a meeting at work dropping f out. But you get people's attention. <sighs> it's like glitter. It's like fucking shine. It's like if I, it's like with our talking to guys, if I had like something shiny I could shake, would have the same effect as me saying fucking every other. I don't think so. Well. In that construction business, it's for everybody's dropping them. It becomes just ridiculous. The norm. Ridiculous. It becomes rude. Fucking, 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 fucking. <laughs> he says, I'll put your show on around others if the temperature is right. Like, say if I'm opening up the crazy on someone who might be receptive. I've got to say that the Randall Carlsons are my faves to give to people. They are my go-to shows for the purposes of blowing up them minds. Usually it arises from whatever topic the pilot, lineman, or fellow monkey with a wrench and myself are talking about. The Resonance Project is another one that I feel is important, not to detract from any of the other great and brilliant guests you've had, because my friends, I want to desperately to believe, and I know something is happening. Something good is coming. It's supposed to, and it has to. The balance of dark and light have been tipped in former's corner, and in due course, we are leaving. Moving on up to a different part of the galaxy where either where the ether is greater and our interwovenness is increasingly harmonizing and homogenizing. Synchronicity. It's time for another. I'm working on a project that I can't really talk about until I get the patent pending. But it's going to make people safe as fuck. Graham, you will want it. Human beings and the sleepers will want it alike. You'll want it. You will want your neighbors to have it. You'll want everyone around you to have it. Darren will probably say, fuck it. Everyone else has it. Why the fuck do I need it? And then go on to say something about the statistical averagings of someone else's safe and fuckedness versus his lack thereof. No, it's not free energy. So it shouldn't get me waxed, nicked, snubbed, rubbed, or in any other manner deleted from the mainframe. My project, however, people will want. I will tell you of it in private because I believe in you as human beings. 
And I need your positive intention and the positive intention of the Fellowship of Grimericans, the hegemony to help move this thing along most lubricously. They're a wordsmith. <laughs> you know, from my prior emails that I have mind boners for the sacred geometry, 2160, the cube, the nines, the moon's diameter, the number of years for the great month, that number 2160, which I stated on your website, somewhere as a micronicity that need not to be rated, I lay before you now, which I believe to be a fact, a macronicity, or maybe both, because it's all connected anyway. I shall vouchsafe this with a supporting document for peer review. The lawyer's agreement, docket number, which is assigned by them, not I, to my patent case, was IP2160-2040. The universe couldn't give me a 2160-2727. That probably would have given me a heart attack and the project and patent would die off and go to someone else of less lofty intentions. Anyway, I just paid the lawyers off. The patent is now being applied for. And when this baby hits, brothers, I will not only be safe as fuck, we may actually be free to be of some assistance to this ever-expanding consciousness. Delusions of grandeur? Meh. Fuck it. I'm intentioning the fuck out of this thing. Double Aaron out. And he says, just for funsies, do a word count. How do you do that? I don't know. I'm on a PC. What's a word count? Count all the words? Yeah. Huh. There's got to be a way. Anyways, I'll, look, I'll look that up. Does he mean manually word count it? There's got to be a fucking automated way. Just count it. Just take you a second. I have seen down over by the shop, I've seen the helicopters doing crazy shit with those power lines. Yeah. 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 Thanks for the feedback, Ponce. I used to wear, I used, I've been, I traveled down in, uh, down south there to some, there's a lot of helicopter companies down there when I was in the helicopter business for a while. Good, good guys down there. Yeah. A, a, lot oil, a lot of oil helicopters all going back and forth to the rigs and all that. The whirly birds. Yep. So, anyways, so we anyways. a rating for that or? Uh, eight point seven. Wow, generous. I like Ponzi. Yeah. You're just, you're biased, aren't you? If you like the person, you're giving them high scores. If they donate, <laughs> they get points. So get speaking points. of that, let's talk about the upgrade program because we got uh, like 50 tickets left. We're raising money for a new recording computer because ours is just about to crash. And it only goes for another month, less than a month to go. Yeah. Or, so, or if we sell the 50 tickets. So we've sold yeah. like 75, we got 50 left or to the end of the month. Of so buyers now. Yeah. So if you got some already, maybe get some more. But uh, yeah, let's try and sell these fuckers out. Buy some for your friends. Get your friends to buy some for their friends. Even those presents. Yeah. Grandamerica.ca slash upgrade. But let's just tell them what, uh, it's not just uh, money raisers. Well, we give something back, right? We give a bunch of swag back and uh, an i. what is it? An iPad full of shit? Darren? It's an iPad. Yeah. Full of stuff. And then some uh, stuff on it. And then uh, and then you come on the show with us and uh, come on the show chat for with an a interview. guest of your choice. Yeah, and it's some swag. Yeah. So 
We're drawing that. When are we going to draw that? In June, I guess, at some point? June 1st. First week well, of June. Yeah, first week of June. Okay. And then, uh, or if we sell the 50 tickets, we'll do it before then. So, grab some tickets, motherfuckers. Should we have something that says if, if the first person chooses not to have somebody on, then we go to the next guy and we'll just keep choosing until somebody come, gets to come on with us and interview somebody? So, then we're going to start breaking out the prize pack. Well, if, what if the first person just says, hey, it's all good, you know, just, I'll just take the swag, but I don't want to come on your show. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, so we'll do that to the next for the next person. So somebody will get to just pick a guest and come on the show. Yeah. And then uh, when you're done buying your tickets for that, check out America.ca slash support and sign up for a monthly. Help keep the lights on. Big shout out to all our monthly subscribers. And uh, yeah, yeah, that really helps. That covers all the all the monthly bills that we have here. Mostly. So, death dumps, otherwise known as chemical trails, <laughs> being dropped, sprayed throughout the United States, England, Scotland, Ireland, Northern Europe. And I have personally seen them, not only in the United States, but in Mexico, Canada. Birds are dying around the world. Fish are dying by the hundreds of thousands around the world. This is genocide. This is poison. All right, thanks, buddy. This is murder by the United Nations. This element within our society is doing this. Must that was a jingle from PewDiePie, I believe. PewDiePie? PewDiePie? Yeah. So, thank you. So this is the weather modification segment. I was reading through the 1978 committee, uh, the 1978 uh, Senate report on weather modification programs, problems, policy, and potential. So every once in a while I do a segment. So I left off uh, last time in the middle of summary and conclusions, and I'm going to finish that off. Darren, you with me there? Yeah, buddy? I'm with you. All right. This is all good, buddy. You want to hear some more of this? It's pretty mind-blowing stuff. This is talking about, you know, the last uh, 30 or so years since the 40s when the U.S. and other countries are trying out wetter weather modification. <laughs> All right. So while the United States is the apparent leader in weather modification research and operations, other countries have also been active. The World Meteorological Organization in 1975 instigated a system of reporting. Under this arrangement, 25 nations reported weather modification projects during 1976. The largest weather modification effort outside the U.S. is the Soviet Union, where there are both a continuing research program and an expanding operational program. So it continues on here. Other countries with weather modification programs of some note include Canada, Israel, Mexico, China, Rhodesia, and the Republic of South Africa. And in recent years, have seen increased international awareness of the potential benefits and possible risks of weather modification technology and increased international efforts to control such activities. 
So as with many scientific disciplines, however, the problems arising from use of and experiments with weather modification are not just scientific in nature, but are political problems as well. In addition to the problems of potential damage to countries through commercial or experimental weather mod activities, another growing area of concern is that weather modification will be used for hostile purposes and that the future will bring weather warfare between nations. The United States has already been involved in one such instance during the Vietnam War when attempts were made to impede traffic by increasing rainfall during monsoon season. Hmm. In light of these problems, the international community has made scattered attempts both to further the study of weather and its modification and to ensure the peaceful use of this new technology. One such attempt was the development of the Convention of the Prohibition of Military or any other hostile use of environmental modification techniques, which was adopted by the General Assembly of the United Nations and opened for signature on May 18, 1977, at which time it was signed by the U.S. and 33 other nations, although it has not yet been submitted to the U.S. Senate for ratification. Now, that's interesting, eh? How they got uh, all these countries to sign this shit in 1977, and after this report, like, we really didn't hear a lot about weather mod. You'd think you'd hear more about it if all these countries were involved. I just don't think any of them are doing it successfully. <laughs> They've already doing it. They've already been doing it successfully. Not in 1977. Yeah. For since the forties, dude. How successfully? Well, they've they've were you not here last time I read this report? Yeah. Fifteen percent increase in precipitation or or lack thereof. It's a pretty big change. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not convinced. I got an email from from our buddy. I think it was from Harold in Florida about. Uh, William. Yeah, you didn't rate my synchro. Well, considering I guessed the exact synchro, I don't know. How do you rate that? I rate. I'll rate my ability to guess it. Five. Yours is a five. I rated yours for you. My synchro's a six. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good, actually. If I think about it, it was the it was the exclamation on your face that I like because now you understand what people feel like when something happens like that. It's more important for you that that happened. I'm just happy Pat's okay. <laughs> you weren't supposed to say his name. I didn't say his last name. All right. So issues of liability for damage may arise when drought, flooding, or other severe weather phenomena occurring occur following attempts to modify the weather. Such issues include causation, nuisance, strict liability, trespass, negligence, and charges of pollution of the air and water through introduction of artificial nucleants. Economically significant weather modification activities will have the eventual ecological effect through appearance or that effect may be hidden or delayed by system resilience and or confused by system complexity. Prediction of ecological effects may never be possible with any precision. However, the greater the precision with which weather mod can predict results of his activities, the more precisely can the ecologist predict ecological effects. 
Such effects will rarely be sudden or catastrophic, but will result from moderate weather-related shifts in rates of reproduction growth and mortality of plants and animals. Widespread cloud seeding using silver iodide can result in estimated local temporary increases in silver concentrations and precipitation approaching those in natural waters, but exchange rates would be an order of magnitude lower than the natural exchange rates. Exchange rates will likely be many orders of magnitude less than those rates at which plants and soils are adversely affected. So interesting how they're talking about how over time this could affect things. But what about, I don't know, 70 years, 60 years? Mm. Hmm? What? So I've got 14 conclusions to read. No, 15. No, 20 conclusions to read. I can't hardly wait. Do you want me to read them all now? Finish this summary and conclusions off? Sure. And okay. Then, what is that? Like, how many then, chapters Then, the, then the, there's like it? 700 pages left of the report, probably. And I'll probably do a summary of each chapter, maybe. I'll see how it goes when through the reading. Okay. So, number one, these are the conclusions. Weather modification is an emerging technology. There's a wide spectrum of capabilities to modify weather, various weather phenomena, ranging from the operational readiness of cold fog dispersal to little progress beyond initial research in the case of modifying severe storms, such as hurricanes. So, little progress in 1978, modifying hurricanes. They had very little progress? Yeah. Sounds about right. I'd say they're still right there. Oh, after the most technologically advanced few decades of our life, that they're just still there in yeah. weather modification? Prove me wrong. Dick now. Okay, number two. Along with cold fog dispersal, the only weather modification capability showing near readiness for application in this augmentation of winter snowpack through seeding mountain cloud systems. A probable increase of about 15% is indicated by a number of experiments. 15? Yeah, and long-running operational seeding projects in the U.S. That, to me, is not success. Hmm. I guess it's something. About making it rain or, or making it not rain like they're doing now. They've done it in China. There's modern examples. They do it in the fucking UAE as well. They hmm. make it rain. It's happening all over the globe, Darren. I believe you. Number three, most scientists and weather mod operators agree that there is a continual need for a wide range of research and development. This is just the start. Where was I? You think it's been weaponized? Yeah. You think Katrina was an attack? I don't know. What about Sandy? I don't know. Mm. Both to refine weather modification techniques where there has been some success and to advance capabilities in modifying other weather phenomena where there has been much less or little progress. Number four, current federal, federal policy for weather mod research and development follows the mission-oriented approach, whereas each agency charged with responsibility for dealing with a particular 
particular national problem is given latitude to seek the best approach or solution to the problem. This approach or solution may involve weather mod. The structure of federal organization for weather modification, this is number five, reflects the mission-oriented approach which is characteristic of the current federal policy. The program's loosely coordinated through advisory groups and the, interdependent, the Interdepartmental Committee for Atmospheric Sciences. Number six, the interest of the Congress in weather mod has been shown by the introduction of 110 bills related to the subject since 1947, six of which have become public law, and the consideration of 22 resolutions on weather mod, one of which was passed by the Senate. Number seven, a number of major weather modification studies, policy studies, have been directed by public law, or initiated within the executive branch over the past 25 years. Most of these studies recommended designation of a lead agency, increased basic meteorological research, increased funding, improvement of support and cooperation from agencies, and considered consideration of legal, socioeconomic, environmental, and international aspects. Although some recommended actions have been undertaken, others have not seen specific action to date. So eight, while major policy studies have recommended increased funding for weather mod programs, research and development and funding has generally increased over the past 20 years. Recommended levels have been consistently higher than those provided, and funding has actually decreased since fiscal year 76. With enactment of the National Weather Mod Policy Act of 76, and completion of the major policy study narrated that of that no mandated by that act, there is a fresh opportunity for Congress to assess the potential usefulness and problems in application of weather mod technology, and to establish a new federal policy for weather modification research and operations. So, what was that new federal policy? Policy of secrecy. The cloak of secrecy. Yeah. Number ten. The partis- The principal role in regulating weather modification and in supporting operational programs has been taken by the states, while the role of federal government has been support of research and development programs. Number 11, the majority of states, 29 of them, have some form of law which relates to weather mod, and the general policy of a state toward weather modification is usually reflected in the weather mod law of that state. Laws of some states tend to encourage development and the use of this technology, while others discourage such activities. Mm. So, number 12. The majority of operational weather modification projects in the United States, 50 out of 72, or 80% in a calendar year of 75, are conducted west of Kansas City, Kansas City, that is. And the largest number of projects have been in California. Most operational projects are intended to increase precipitation, while others are designed to suppress hail or to disperse fog. Do we do the hail suppression here? Yeah. That yeah, that was saves you, you money. Some of that. that saves you money. Yeah, but how's it affecting our climate or the weather? Someone's stopping the hail. <laughs> I support it. I wonder what they use. Maybe salt. Coal fly ash? 
Coal fly ash? You sent me that. What's, uh, what's coal fly ash? I don't know. I was wondering. I think, is it, um, I don't know. you going to look it up now? I don't know, but that's what that, there was a, a lawsuit in Canada started, apparently, about chemtrails and those coal fly ash. And that, that's what they're saying they've been spraying around. Hmm. Besides the other ones like borium and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Borium? Coal fly ash. Hmm. I wonder if it's like leftover shit from, the- from the mine kind of thing. Borium? No, the coal fly ash. Like Uh-oh. it's a... Uh, so I'm always bored. What? Borium? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. So ready? Uh, where are we here? Hmm. So 13, both the greatest support and the strongest opposition to weather modification projects are focused at the local level where the economic and personal interests of local organizations and individuals are most directly affected. It follows that there is also the least social stress when decisions to apply or withhold weather mod are made at the local level. Number 14, commercial weather modification operators have sustained, sustained activities during, oh, what does that say? Commercial weather modification operators sub-stained. have sustained activities since early days after which some operations fell into disrepute, providing a valid a valuable database for evaluation of long-term projects and developing expertise over a broad range of capabilities. Most have incorporated improvements into their technology as they benefit from accumulated experience and from research results. Number 15, while the United States is the apparent leader in overall research and operational weather mod activities, there have been approximately 20 foreign countries in which activities are conducted annually. 25 countries reported such projects for 1976 through the register of the WMO. The largest foreign program is that of the Soviet Union, whose operational hail suppression program covered about 15 million acres in 76. The largest such effort in the world. Sixteen. The international community has attempted a further study of weather modification and ensure its peaceful use through recent development of a convention on the prohibition of military or any other hostile use environmental techniques. That was adopted by the UN General Assembly. I think we talked about that already. Uh, 17 legal issues in weather modification are complex and unsettled. They include resolution of problems of ownership of atmospheric water, issues of liability, conflicting statutes and regulations of respective state laws, and need to develop a regime of relevant international law. 18. Although the long-term political for economic gains through weather modification cannot be denied, attempts to quantify benefits and costs from such activities will in most cases be difficult to undertake on a practical basis until the technology is more highly developed and control systems are perfected to permit reliable predictions of outcomes. Number 19, economically significant weather modification will always have an eventual ecological effect, though appearance of the effect may be delayed or hidden by system resilience and or confounded by system complexity. The more precisely the weather modifier can specify effects he will produce, the more precise can be the ecologist's prediction of likely ecological effects. 
So I wonder what, how that 15 million acres in Russia of hail suppression affect the overall weather or climate of the world. More hail. More hail? Why? Less hail? I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Number 20. This is the last one. Modification processes may also be initiated or triggered inadvertently rather than purposefully. Man is already causing measurable variations unintentionally on the local scale. An artificial climate effort. Oh, sorry. And artificial climate effects have been observed on local and regional scales. Although not, although not verifiable at present, the time may not be remote when human activities will result in measurable large-scale changes in weather and climate of more than passing significance. There you have it. There. That's the end yeah. of the summary and conclusions. Pretty interesting. Is that the back? Did we read the last page first? No, but that's like, you know, every report has. Yeah. Us. Did you have to do a report in school at all? No. 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 Got away without that? I don't know. I probably did a bunch of them. <laughs> right on. So we should uh, call our buddy Nap, eh? Absolutely. Nap is our artist. And, uh, well, he's not our artist. He, he sends in art and artist for for our episodes and he does a like a comic blog on the website so let's uh, let's give him a shout here they're calling you stretch oops <clears throat> hmm it's always a game because we can't hear it right oh yeah I don't like that setting Yeah, well. And we're late, too. Sorry, Nap. Jeez. Only a half an hour. Only a half hour late. <laughs> we, text, we text him in 15 minutes with Koi, and then we're a half hour late. Oh, you've been texting him. Mm-hmm. Well, I just texted him. But he said he was ready. Keep talking, I guess. Oh, yeah, I guess we should, eh? Probably. We're recording, right? We are recording, yeah. <laughs> this is a podcast. Yeah, um, we're not used to calling people live. Computer frozen. His computer's frozen? Yes. Wow. So, so pretty safe to say, Nap ain't using a Mac. <clears throat> should I? I had to guess. Okay, so I'm going to talk about uh, the NA meetup coming up, because we're uh, going to be hitting it pretty soon, May... 30th, was it? May 28th, Saturday, May 28th, 3 o'clock, 111 Grill in Red Deer. So there's a bunch of the No Agenda um, listeners going. And I want to plug this every week. And I was also thinking, if there's any Kniggets out there, any No Agenda nights out there, if they want to do a podcast together, get get us talking, I thought uh, that might be some, some fun. What do you think, Darren? Yeah, I think hey, there's a few. Good. We give a give an outlet, outlet to some of the nights, the people that have, you know, really helped out the No Agenda show. That's right. Yeah, so we got a few weeks uh, left. I'll put a link to the show notes for the meetup. No Agenda. Hopefully we'll see you there. In That's, Canada, is it a No Agenda meetup? So what we're talking about is the noagendashow.com. That's a podcast that we listen to every week. Yep. 
one of the better ones out there. Yeah. We had a lot of good feedback on Corbett last week too. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like the No Agenda show and the Corbett report should sort of like collaborate a little bit. Think? Yeah. Apps rebooting. There's a rebooting. Okay, we can uh, keep going here for a bit. So I've got the... Uh, the UFO quote? Yeah, that. Are you whispering the UFO quote? Good, good one. Do you have a jingle for me? Takes fucking forever to get to my jingles when I don't have my jingle machine. Jingles, is it this one? Usually we're a little more prepared than this. Um, UFO quote of the week. <laughs> UFO quote of the week. Okay, thanks. UFO quote of the week. All right, I got it. I got it. UFO quote of the week. Okay, you get that. Hey, hey nap. Hi. Hey, buddy. What's up? Hey, you got it. You got to <laughs> We're in the middle of the UFO quote of the week, so let's. Uh, you're going to be here for that. Oh, okay. Okay. Nice. Are you ready, Darren? Yep. Object. So this was an object described as flat on top and bottom, and appearing from a front view to have round edges and slightly beveled, no vapor trails or exhaust or visible means of propulsion. Described as having described as traveling at tremendous speed. The pilot considered by associates to be highly reliable of mature judgment and a credible observer. Air Force Intelligent Report following UFO sighting by F-51 pilot in 1951. An F-51 in 1951? Yeah. Is that a synchronicity? No, 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 that's why it was called an F-51, right? Good catch. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> How's it going, Nap? Good, good. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're good. Sorry for sorry, oh. man. We're so late. Oh my god, it just went on and on and on. No, it's okay. I I feel terrible because I was sitting there waiting, and then when it finally goes through, my computer freezes. Ah. I have to reboot it, and I was like, "Yeah, nice. All right." Huh. So, you guys get your comic? No, no, not, not yet. yet. No, I was just uh, I was just at the PO box today, actually, and uh, no, I didn't didn't get it yet. Wow. Okay. Well, so, so what, tell, tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, so basically, uh, for, for those of you who don't know me, um, I write a comic called Lost Bread, and it's basically kind of uh, my own lucid dreams that uh, I sort of have written down. I kept a dream journal and I started drawing them. And I uh, have sort of compiled them into a comic so that you can visually see them because you really have to see a dream. You can't just read about it. You can't. You have to fully experience it. And uh, so I, I've compiled it into a comic for you guys to enjoy. Um, some of the uh, issues that I'm working on now uh, are maybe going to incorporate some of the stuff that happens in real life so you can kind of see the transition. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting series. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, people seem to like it. So I hope uh, those of you listening will give it a try too. Go to lostbreadcomic.com. It's, it's pretty fun. Cool. Yeah, I'll put a link yeah. to that. 
in the show notes for sure. So it's actually like an actual comic. Com- yeah, it's it's an actual comic book. I think it's a uh, thirty-eight pages, uh, something around. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's like a full graphic novel. Uh, there's some extra material that is in the comic, the actual hard copy comic, that I wasn't able to get on the Gramerica uh, page, or that when I was going through it, I was like, I want to add some stuff. So. <laughs> There's there's a little bit of extra in there, and uh, so that's kind of fun. It's not, and uh, it's also available. Um, the original version is still going to remain free online on the Gramerica site if you go to Lost Bread, uh in the blog section. And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. And the new issues will be still debuting on uh, Gramerica. It's just that I've been having. I used to get them out week after week after week, and now I've. <laughs> it's been like a couple months. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you're, you're too busy doing our weekly art. So we want to thank you for that. <laughs> hey, no problem. I have a lot of fun doing that. That's uh, one of the highlights of my week is when okay. I get my uh, drawing orders. I'm like, all right, awesome. Uh-oh. We're going to have to break it to you then. You're going to have some competition coming up. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we might have more listeners wanting to, to uh, send in their art every week. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're going to. Yeah. yeah. Just so you know. Okay. All right. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> sad. I know, All right. but you, you know, yeah, you'll you'll do well. Yeah, yeah. I predict you do, you'll do just fine. Uh, I think we'll still okay. keep powering through. We'll see. I mean, you're on the you're the you're the art to beat. So oh, take okay. part in that. Well, that's kind of cool. So yeah, well, other people should definitely get a chance too. I mean, that that's how you keep it alive and fresh. You that's gotta right. get what I'll do yeah. on the web page is probably put all the art on the web page. And well, see, just one on the yeah, uh, that's a good idea. And one on yeah. the uh, podcast player. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. Very as long cool. as it's politically correct, and there's no racism or sexism. Right. Or, yeah. Oh, oh, we'll 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 make sure, right, Darren? Racist Graham likes to keep his racism to oh, himself. <laughs> oh, Graham! So Are you a racist? How you doing? Other than that, now? I'm doing good. Um, just uh, sort of pitching the comic and having a lot of fun doing a lot of drawing uh so i just yeah it's it's fun i've been talking to a lot of people been put in touch with a lot of uh new people through the comic uh since it debuted on gramerica um uh olaf phillips who uh runs paranoia magazine yeah yeah yeah, he, he hired me on to do some artwork for him and uh see uh slee sack matt I, uh, we did a collaborative work where I illustrated for a story he's going to do, and it's eventually going to be a full series of stories, like a, a whole little uh, book, an anthology of his work. And uh, so I've been meeting a lot of great people, um, been meeting a lot of new people through the comic, and um, did an interview with Friends to Know also, uh, the podcast that uh, Adam Whale runs. Right, and, uh, good. Yeah. So that Man, was that's, kind of fun. That's awesome that you guys are all getting together too, right? Because you guys are all sort of supporters of the show, and it's cool that uh, that you guys are meeting each other as well. That's that's just great. Yeah, definitely. I I think that that's really helping out. It's uh yeah, it's, you know, it's like a community. It's it's hard where I am anyway uh to to find people who are uh where, where I'm at right now. Everybody's into the bar and the beach kind of scene. Um, I'm out in California right now trying to show my comic. <laughs> I guess that's uh, San Diego is like the epicenter for comics and stuff like that. So that's right. where I'm, I'm at from. Is that and, where Olaf uh, is too? 
Is uh, Olaf, I don't know if Olaf is no, there. No, I think he's actually. north a bit, north of San Diego a bit. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Skeptico's out here, though. And, but, uh, and THC. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, THC is out here. And uh, so, you know, it's it's hard for me to meet people who are into that kind of stuff, and it's it's hard to introduce that kind of thing in conversation without sounding a little loopy. And so it's kind of fun that the internet sort of closes that gap, like puts you in a place where you can meet people who ha- already have that interest and who already want to talk with you about that kind of stuff. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. That's so, what we're finding as well. Yeah. Right on. It's, Darren, you got anything else for an app here? No, I think about that's what I just wanted to get the word out there about the company. Of course, a dollar for every sale goes to Grow America too. So. Oh, yeah. Does. Yeah, I appreciate that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, so hopefully I'm going to be sending a donation your way pretty soon. And uh, yeah, I know you guys always got to get new equipment and new fun stuff. <laughs> we have gas. Yeah. We have a bad, yeah. bad state of gas in here. Gear acquisition yeah. syndrome. Well, I, I hope I can help you out with that a little bit. Yeah, so. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> That's yeah. how they get there. That's how they get you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, everyone check out the comic. You, you can always check out, go on this website, get a taste for it, and then start uh, subscribe and start getting your own issues. Mm-hmm. Right on. Should be fun. All right. All thanks. Right. Thanks, Nap. Yeah. Hey, no words. Enjoy. You guys enjoy the chat with Philip Ivanov. And uh, yeah, it's a good fin- Are we finishing the in- project? Uh, intro here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we got so. it all done. Yeah. We got it all done. Right on. Yeah, this is a hey. good chat with. Uh, this is a good. You can stay here for a bit there, Nap. Uh, this is a good chat all with right. Philip Ivanov about the Venus Project and sustainable cities and sort of, you know, communism versus socialism and capitalism and all this kind of political bullshit as well. It's uh, it's pretty cool. He's a he's a great uh, speaker on this subject. Right on, Darren. We'll yeah, see you okay. Next week. Enjoy the chat, and we will see you in the outro. So with us tonight, we've got Philip Ivanov from the Venus Project. We're going to talk about the resource-based economy and and what the Venus Project's all about. Most of our listeners have probably heard about that, uh, but basically, they're proposing like a feasible plan, basically uh, for social change, um, sort of a new type of of civilization. It's really interesting, and it's based on you know instead of our current economy with money and all the the war and everything else is kind of a peaceful approach uh with a resource-based economy so we're looking forward to getting into this welcome to the show philip thank you thank you for having me yeah it's great to have you here um I, you know we've we've talked about the venus project on and off over the years a little bit um 
we, some of us found out about it, like watching the Zeitgeist movies and stuff like that. And and even though it's been around for a while, we thought we'd sort of have we want to talk about uh, where you guys are at with this. And and I always find it interesting. It's it's um, especially with everything that's going on in the world right now. It is kind of tantalizing the idea of having some sort of society where we all just work uh, work our part to uh, to to belong in the society and and produce you know good stuff and not have to worry about uh, all the regular worries that we have. So where are you guys at right now with the project? Like, what's new? Maybe we should. Uh, I wonder if there isn't a good portion of our audience that doesn't really know much about what. A resource-based economy is. Maybe we should do a quick rundown of that first. Do you think, Graham, before we jump into what's new? Sure, sure. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if you could explain to us just uh, exactly what the Venus Project is, and then uh, jump into what's new. Sure. Well, the Venus Project is an organization that is specializing in providing global solutions to most of our problems in in the world today. And the organization was founded by a social engineer and industrial designer, Jacques Fresco. And uh, the main uh, solution, I would say, that they're proposing is called a resource-based economy. And, of course, resource-based economy is very, uh, well, I would say a generic term. Um, but what, what they really propose is our next step in, in our, the next step in our social evolution. So if you can imagine, so far we have been gathering in, in, in larger uh, social tribes uh, as time went by. So, you know, we went from very, very small um, units of, of, yeah, basically a tribe, uh, a, couple of, a couple of dozen people. And th that expanded more and more. And uh, now we have actually cities of, of many millions of people. And uh, we were in that social animal uh, 60,000 years back. Now we're a lot more social. Now we're a lot more integrated, even though um, still we have a lot of different nations and different languages that are being spoken. But um, obviously the, 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 the search for higher standard of living has enabled us to communicate, has uh, uh, really broken down these barriers of long distance and even language as well, because we know very well that Today, the, the, the entire intention is for two people to understand each other, especially when they're doing business, especially when they're doing some kind of exchange of goods in order to increase their standard of living. And uh, the, the more we're going into that, um, the more problems come out of it. Um, for example, in the past, they had um, problems with diseases, especially in Europe, uh, simply because these large uh, conglomerates of people uh, weren't really... Uh, the, the the places weren't really designed to, to take those those people. So, you know, we 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 also have the plague uh, as as a result of that. Um, so, what the Venus Project uh, proposes in a as a global solution is a resource based economy model, where the resources around the world are managed uh, intelligently through science and technology. Um, and in this way, what what happens is instead of countries, different countries fighting. Uh, one against another for, for the resource, for the natural resources and the know-how and the scientific breakthroughs that uh, other countries make. Uh, we would share the resources, the natural resources that we have around the world, and we will use science and technology to produce abundance of the resources that we need in order for us to have a very high standard of living. 
Now, um, <laughs> this sounds really uh, kind of like a, a very, very incredible endeavor. Um, but we do have the technological and the scientific capability of doing that today. So meaning that if we start today, if, if let's say top 30 countries around the world that own about 90% of all resources around the world join together and they work towards that direction, then in about a 10 to 15 year period, we would be able to see an incredible change in, 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 in the entire world. Um, I don't know if I don't know if I gave a good enough explanation or short enough and, and concise enough at the same time. No, that was good. Um, so technically, what we are, or you know, where where we are at the moment is in 2010, um, Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows, the 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 founder and the co-founder of, of the Venus Project, went around the world uh, on a world lecture tour, and I think they visited somewhere around 20 countries. Um, uh, and they did um, Europe, I think they did Australia too. Uh, I think the Canada was the only one that they couldn't do at the end. Um, but overall, of course, you know, the, the, the entire project was very welcomed and uh, it was found as incredibly interesting. But uh, it was really since 2010 that uh, we've kind of like made a global approach and uh, we started involving more countries. A lot more people uh, started notice us due to the Zeitgeist series uh, that was very um, well received in a sense around a, a, a lot of the countries around the world. And uh, for the past pretty much six years, we've been trying to channel the activism uh, efforts around the world in order to expand the, the reach and the knowledge of the Venus Project uh, in, in different countries, whatever there is interest in a sense. So we have a lot of things lined up. Um, we, we, had, we, we changed our website a couple of times. We, um, we do local activism in many countries around the world. And uh, we are the, really at the, at the stage of uh, kind of like reaching to people, explaining to them that there's an alternative because, you know, as I explained, the Venus Project proposes a global alternative to the way we live today. Uh, and usually this is not really taught in schools, so it's not really on television. Nobody tells you, well, you know, the system that you live in today, it's not, it's not perfect. It's not the best one that you have. You can, you know, we can always change it, especially if we join together on a global level. Um, so we want people to actually hear about us and, and learn more about our direction. And very importantly, actually know that there is such an alternative and that we, we do have the te technological capabilities to provide it. And by we, I don't mean the Venus Project. The Venus Project has its own designs and, and technologies the, the, that, are really on, that really function on global implementation, but also in, in the system that we live in today. Uh, we, we do have, we, we are mastering um, uh, fields such as uh, nanotechnology today. So when we do that, then we will have greater power to achieve what the Venus Project proposes. Yeah, and you guys transcend. You know, your proposal is not to <clears throat> adopt any sort of political ideas that are going on right now. Like, people get stuck, I think, in between, you know, like, battling over between socialism and capitalism or, or um, all these different, you know, different labels. But really, this is, this is none of that, right? This is something completely new, right? Having technology drive the resources required, right? And it's... Um, it's more about 
using things, you know, efficiently and not uh, overproducing a bunch of crap that you don't need and not actually having to deal with the whole monetary system and, you know, being debt slaves. So you're really talking about a whole new, new culture, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the main problem in a sense today or the, the, the way we see it is that, um, for example, governments and, and corporations, um, they, they're really stuck in, in the system and they're, they're trying to leverage each other. And uh, it, it, it's not really beneficial for the people. It, it, I mean, it was it maybe it was meant to be that way, uh, but it isn't today. So what we really propose is um, to use the, what we have, the available resource and the available technologies to help us uh, reach certain decisions. I mean, as a contrast, as an example, just to give... Um, Today, for example, we have politicians that uh, sit around and they, they talk and they say, okay, so we need more jobs. We need, um, because obviously this is what they think that, that brings the highest standard of living. And they don't really consider that the scientific breakthroughs and technological breakthroughs are um, what, what gives us the ability to have a high standard of living. So in a resource-based economy, instead of uh, politicians sitting around discussing uh, what could happen or, you know, what is the best plan of action, people will be using science and technology to arrive at those decisions, not really make those decisions based on a uh, you know, very short uh, period of uh, experience. I mean, you know, a politician, even, even an older politician could have, what, 40, 50 years of experience at the most. Uh, and that, that's very little. Um, if we have uh, computers, for example, that take uh, uh, direct information from the soil, uh, take direct information from the weather. Uh, as this piles up, the the information becomes a lot more accurate, uh, especially if it's analyzed by the algorithms that we have today. So the information that the people could have by using science and technology is a lot more accurate than what they they have today in terms of just their personal opinions or in in, in their interests. In mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did yeah. we need capitalism to get to here? Like. Could we have just started out with this this resource based economy, or do did we need? Would it, like how long would it have taken? I guess to get to this technological level we're at today, without these major world conflicts, and um, along that alongside that, with these corporations battling each other to come out with the next best thing. Well. Oh. I look at it more from an evolutionary point of view. So if you look at the systems around the world, uh, we, we really have, most of them, I would say, are, are quite dictatorial, including capitalism as well. The only difference is, is that if we look at even communism, for example, or the way it was implemented, I mean, the, the idea of Karl Marx was really great, but the way it was implemented, it was very, very dictatorial. Um, I, I lived in a former, and I still live in a former uh, a communist country, and I would say the big difference between capitalism and communism is that, especially the way they were implemented, not really the ideologies themselves. Um, in, in, in communism or in socialism, as it was called back in the days, we weren't really um, allowed to compete in a sense on a, uh, on a personal level. Uh, we did more on a national level. And... Uh, this kind of like held back society because when you have people within society that bring out new uh, ideas and, and realize those ideas, uh, then obviously you get, you get a much faster, much more dynamic uh, evolution, I would say. Um, we, we didn't have that in, 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 in socialism. 
but the free enterprise system, especially in the United States, uh, for the past, uh, I would say, half century, uh, has really allowed for, for this uh, for this competition to to produce uh, all the different things that, that we have today. Um, now, you might ask me, okay, but is this right? But you know, could we could could we have done it better? Well, not from an evolutionary point of view, uh, simply because we you know we learn from the past, we do it through trial and error. I think this is the major difference of what uh, the Venus Project proposes and what the current system offers today. Um, Jacques Fresco has really worked out a solution also to give a direction, for the first time in, in the history of humankind, give a direction uh, for, for, the, for humanity. And uh, this direction is for us to improve ourselves and improve our planet and, and for us to uh, go more into the path of discovery. Um, whether it's our planet or the universe in general, um, and uh, th- this is something that no philosophy, in, you know, has ever produced as a, as a as a system that is designed rather than just natural evolution. So when you ask me, okay, could could we have done it? You know, I w- I would say no because it, it it takes a lot of time for us to reach at that level, at that very high level of, of uh, technological breakthroughs and, and, and scientific breakthroughs. Otherwise, it's, it's very, I mean, you know, you have Plato's Republic, for example, you know, you have a lot of different ideas that, that are considered utopian, simply because they didn't really have the, the, the notion of, okay, so we are all working under one roof. This is what, what the Venus, Venus Project is proposing. There was always, um, you know, for example, slaves were used, uh, uh, there, were, there was always a group being marginalized in a sense. And, and what we're really kind of are looking for is to not to marginalize anybody, uh, just to use science and technology and to give uh, a new path uh, for humanity. And this is something very different than, than, than anything that has been discussed so far. I think we, we, we <laughs> you know, in, in a novel or in an imaginary way, we, we might have uh, come to here. But uh, capitalism was, was great 100 years ago. You know, it's just today... Uh, capitalism holds back the evolution or the progress, the social progress that we could have if yeah. we are not so much concentrated to it. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it's out of control right now. I mean, it really is. I think the trick is going to be how do we get out of this now? Like, how do we get out of it before it, it actually ruins us? I mean, that's the, <clears throat> I think the big challenge is, is uh, it's, it could be disastrous if something doesn't change. Absolutely, yes. I mean, the major problem I see is that, um, you know, countries around the world, they're not really interested in, in people hearing about an alternative to right. a socioeconomic system. And that, that's where we come in. Yeah. After so, the collapse, you think? Well, you see, that, that, that is something that um, a lot of people actually are asking. Um, so because they do, they do say that this is our, one of our plans in a sense. Uh, and I think it's, it's kind of misunderstood what Jack Fresco is saying that, um, we need a, a, a collapse in order for people to understand that, uh, in order for people to understand that their politicians can't really help them in, in that respect. Um, I would imagine that this, you know, he said that in a sense that the majority of the population they are living in, in what I call a, a, a social homeostasis. So they're really kind of like stuck in society. They, they, 
they do get reinforced of liking the way they're stuck. And it's very difficult for them. Uh, even maybe some of the, some of your listeners uh, might say, well, well, what is this guy talking about? You know, I mean, I, I like the way I live. Yeah. Um, and it's very, it's very difficult to, to make that jump, to make that step and to say, oh, but wait a second, you know, we could live a lot better, you know, but obviously we have to work for it, you know. So uh, it, it doesn't really mean that we have to wait for the collapse. Um, we, we are uh, very actively trying to educate more people and try to get them informed about uh, our energy proposals. But this is just um, uh, kind of an expression from his side that if, if we don't really, you know, get down and, and, and try to learn the new ways, in a sense, it will be very difficult to convince the majority of people that this is a workable solution. I mean, you, you know that yourselves, right? I mean, uh, we have loads and loads of books on economics, on marketing, on politics. We have a lot of that in the media. We have a lot of that in, in our public libraries and universities. We get taught that every day. We, you know, nobody gets taught about the resource-based economy or how the world can, can work as one, as one organism. Have you given yeah. any, any thought to, like, I don't know what, what the... A political party or something like that, I guess, or independent. I don't know how that works down in the states, but well, the general. I guess idea you're not is in that... the states, so it doesn't really matter. Like, how how do you go about that on a global level? Oh yeah, well, the, the general idea is that we 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 would uh, form whatever uh, uh, entities we need to form in order to peacefully move in that direction. But uh, the, the form that we take is, is not really important because the, what's most important is actually people's support. And I would, I would say not only that, but people's understanding. Um, I mean, we live in a very dynamic world and we are getting attacked by media manipulation on all sides. Yeah. And is, that, that's, that's a very important point because, uh, you know, as, as people learn about the Venus Project, they... Uh, obviously have a lot of questions, but if they, if they don't really understand the mechanisms of how the Venus project or a resource-based economy can be achieved, then it's, it's quite easy for a very strong media, uh, outlet to, to manipulate their, their decision, you know, whether they want to go in that direction or not. This is why we're very keen on people, uh, kind of like really, really, uh, acquiring and, and kind of like making that, that information their own. Uh, so they can explain it to others, so they can explain it to their families. And they generally, you know, for them to say, okay, so, you know, it, this, we're not really going into some kind of 1984 world. And, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, we're, we're really going towards something absolutely amazing, and absolutely great. But by, by, by them understanding those mechanisms, it's much easier for them to fight the fear that, that somebody might want to instill in them. Um, and, and, in the future, if we have uh, a good 10, 20, 30% of the population in, in, in top 30 countries around the world, we would form whatever political party needs to be formed. But the one thing that we will not do is, is take uh, uh, any uh, aggressive action, any physically aggressive action. We're not interested in um, you know, going to major protests and uh, trying to um, in, in, incite revolutions or anything else like this. We, we are very much interested in, in, in getting um, to people and, and helping them learn so they can reach that higher level of understanding of how, how things work, the mechanisms, and they 
in in this way they can be calm that uh, you know we're not we're not doing anything drastic it's just we're using everything that we already know to to make a better a better system what about what about taking it onto a, into a smaller level has it been discussed that that you could maybe start some sort of city state that's not so global right now just to mm-hmm. sort of prove that it's it's going to work almost like a real technologically evolved uh, commune kind of thing where you know this is sort of happening on a level like i've heard about these other um, self-sustained cities sort of popping up i think one was on an island maybe or some sort of floating city like has that been discussed or is that is that something that would be like a, a good first step maybe instead of trying to change the view globally yes well um the the, the idea behind or let's say the solutions of the venus project they are um they're global in implementation so i'll just take one example which is energy um if we have the support of the top 30 countries around the world, then it's very easy for um, them on a global level, on, on a government level, to agree on how the grid should be designed. So we would have redundancy, so we would have uh, high efficiency. Uh, obviously, we cannot really use much of the grid we have today, or well, we can, but the, the, <laughs> there's different kinds of processes involved. So... Um, Doing a uh, doing a city, uh, or, or let's say doing it in, uh, in 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 isolation, as a proof of concept, would not really give the the what our what, what our true intention is. Um, <clears throat> it wouldn't really provide uh, this this grand example, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I do know what you mean, but it it, it must be uh, there must be some sort of like stepping stone towards. Uh... You know, like if even if you had some sort of uh, some sort of backer that could could even just design something, right? Like it's it's a real tantalizing idea that that we could get out of all the normal stress that we have right now and and be a part of a collaborative society, a sustainable society instead of like the the battle that we have to go through. But it's just daunting thinking about that at a global level. Like I understand the resource based economy would be global but could you even just make a sustainable city that could hold you know 20,000 or 50,000 people you know yeah absolutely i mean this is this is pretty much the stepping stone that that we're looking uh, to 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 make but the <laughs> the idea behind it is that if if we are about to build a a research experimental research city as we call it um then we really need the backing not only in terms of um the capital but we yeah. also need in terms of uh, a political structure. Uh, so, right. for example, if we, I mean, the way, the way I kind of like jokingly explain it is, well, we, we need to be somewhat of a, you know, a, some, something like the Vatican, you know? Right, so yeah, yeah. Be, yeah. Our own country inside yeah, a country, yeah. in a sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, we are, we are open to, to kind of like looking at different proposals. But what we're really looking at is, of course, major backing on one side which is really, you know, in the billions. Um, and, and then a, a country that says, okay, well, you know, we'll host that research uh, experimental city. And yes, you, you guys have your, your own rules and, you know, your own regulations and you do um, whatever you, you know, you, you think it's, it's appropriate. Uh, but in order for us to reach that stage, at least that's my personal subjective opinion, I would say, is that 
we, we need to actually go into that direction because if only one country joins and says, okay, well, you know, you guys come here and you do it. Then in 20 years time, this country would have a lot of benefits because of the freedom of research that will be allowed in that city. So, right. you know, other countries will either be hostile towards that country because of more resources and benefits that it gets, or they might join in. So what we're looking at at the moment is kind of like getting more people informed about this. So when the time comes and, and, and a country says, well, you know, um, we want to experiment, let's, you know, they invite us and, and we start building there. We have the financial backup and the resources, the physical resources. Um, then the other countries would at least not really be hostile to that, uh, to that proposal or at least, you know, kind of like demand from their governments to investigate such a, such a system. Um, of course, we're trying to really facilitate our, uh, you know, our progress in the future. It's much easier for us rather than kind of like go, you know, head to head with, uh, with the current system and try to explain that, uh, you know, the, the many problems. I, I'm sure that the people are seeing the many problems that they're around the world, but what they don't really uh, see and what's not really in their face um, the is, is the solution. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So how... How far did Jock or, or you guys get in, in actually designing um, the technical sort of physical uh, grid or sustainability? Like, like I could see that the technology is so advanced now, really, that we could design, you know, a big, let's say, city that, you know, could produce its own energy and, and have, you know, proper transportation and communication built into the infrastructure. Like, how... How far or are you guys at played around with that level of design? Well, uh, to, to, to my knowledge or what I've seen at the Venus Project, I was actually recently at the research center uh, mid-March. Uh, mid um, and uh, the, the, the level of sophistication is, is almost absolute. So, I mean, <laughs> that's something that, that actually does strike me as, as unique. Um, I haven't really seen anybody else kind of, you know, design this master plan, uh, of, of a city, of an entire city with, with all of the aspects. So, you know, the housing sectors, the agricultural yeah. sectors, yeah. um, and, and he's really gone all, all, all the way out. So, oh, he yeah, has. Hey, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's really, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of details, but you also have to bear in mind as well that, you know, all of his, uh, designs, uh, they're very functional. I mean, it really depends basically the backing that, uh, that, that we get because uh, the different designs of the city is, uh, are, are really functional, meaning uh, it really depends how much resources you have. And that's the city you make with those resources. So the more resources we have, the, the, more, the, the bigger the city would be, the, the, oh, not really the bigger, I would say the more functional the city would be. Um, and uh, th this, is, this is the reason why I'm saying it really, really depends on who's backing us up and in what kind of conditions we'll be working under. Because if, if, if we're working under very uh, difficult conditions, then the city would be a lot smaller. Experiments would be a lot less for obvious reasons. Um, and, you know, the, the, the idea behind this, you know, do we have the technology to make it? Of course we do. Do we have the machines to make it? Because obviously it's not going to be by layers of bricks and cement. Uh, uh, well, no, we don't, because that's not, that's not the way, uh, this system, the, the, the current system, uh, uh, works. It, it doesn't allow 
for somebody to make a machine that would produce mostly already made houses, prefabricated houses, yeah. and to lay them literally like eggs, you know, yeah. one within yeah. a couple of hours. You know, it doesn't make sense because we're talking about, you know, uh, overproduction here and, and really going into the direction of abundance. This is the reason why I'm saying, you know, we do have not only the technological and scientific capabilities as a global collective. On the other side, we do have the detailed plans of the city construction um, uh, from the Venus project. But it really depends where it, it, that, that would be. Of course, our first preference is uh, a, a flat land, in a sense, and in a, in a rather southern country i would say so we would be using yeah, yeah. a lot of the yeah. a lot of the sun for energy yeah yeah well it's just it's it's fascinating to me because there's so much bullshit out there with planned obsolescence and the quality of the quality of things produced is so poor like i mean even just buying a phone charging cord or something you know you spend 30 dollars on this thing that falls apart in like two days you know mm -hmm. i mean imagine yes. what we could do with with the proper use of technology and, and how far we could really go with, with, uh, the quality, proper quality of, of products and, and energy, you know, oh, it's just, it's, uh, it really is. It, it's fascinating. And, and I wonder, do you guys have a lot more interest? Is your interest growing in that? Like since, uh, you guys came out and basically in the zeitgeist movies and stuff like that, Yes, I mean, I would say um, the Zeitgeist movies re was really, really big help. I would, I would, I would say because they really spread the message uh, and, and they kind of like showed that there is an alternative to the system. They criticized the system, uh, the, the the capitalism extensively, and they showed the the, the Venus Project as as the main solution. Um, so from from that point onwards, there was a lot of interest, and this this you know this constantly we get about fifty to hundred emails a day. People knocking, knocking on the door, asking, you know, what can I help? How can I? How can this wow, be achieved? Wow, that's great. Yeah, we get a lot of interest. I mean, the, our main challenge at the moment really is to channel that interest towards productive endeavors. And um, the Venus Project, generally for the past, uh, well, I would say, forty years, <clears throat> has done an incredible amount of stuff that uh, to, to get us to that level for us to understand what what the Venus Project is, what a resource based economy is, how things function, the mechanistic approach. Um, but they're, they're not uh, formatted in a commercial way, uh, in a way. What, what I mean by that is um, Jacques' lectures, for example, they're an amazing source of information. It's really concise and really detailed information. But they're, on, uh, on, on, uh, they're audio lectures. Um, they're not something visual, something that grabs the mind. And this, I think this is our, our main... Uh, um, duty at the moment for us to turn all this information into mm. uh, commercially viable information and not really in terms of sales but more in terms of uh, getting to, to the understanding yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. delivering presentation yeah yeah so so do you guys have a list of I mean that must be really difficult you have all these people wanting to get involved which is great but how do you keep them productive and how do you have enough things for everybody to do at this stage of your development yeah, yes. Yeah, very good. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you know, we, we've experimented for the past six years, many, many different approaches in a sense, but the ones that uh, kind of like show the most uh, activity are the ones where we let the people kind of like do uh, whatever they feel like from the tasks that we, we give to them. Oh, okay. 
Like so, from an overall list of tasks kind of thing? Like where can I help out? So I look at a overall list of tasks and say, well, I'll be good at doing that maybe so I can help out in that one or that type of thing? Absolutely. I mean, the, what, what we're trying to to, to uh, put out by the end of this year is, is really a very systematic uh, task-oriented schedule. So you would have something like a calendar, not really like calendar, I would say, you know, a couple of lists. And um, then you would go around and you say, okay, so the first list is uh, the things that they need, for example, in terms of design. And they would look at each one of the tasks. They would open the task. There would be a very deep explanation about what we want done and how we want it done and what the final product must look like. And then when they register themselves for that task and they say, okay, so I really want to do it. They, and when they do it and they submit their final product and their final product gets endorsed, uh, then they have their, their name uh, next, to the, next to the final product and they're, they're still on the list in a sense. Um, and uh, in, in that way, anybody can contribute as much as they want to in, in, in the amount of time and, and effort they want to put. And that, does that mirror, mirror then what um, the contributions in a society like that would look like? Like it, without money and without uh, the need to produce a bunch of useless goods every day and, and without, like if you were really based on like, what do we need for this community to thrive? And these are the resources we have, and this is the workload required to make that happen. Is is the vision of that happening? Like everybody would contribute to something that they're good at for a certain amount of time. Like, would it be, um, you know, would everybody have to contribute the same amount of time or like, how, do, how would that, can you give us an idea of sort of some of the Absolutely. theories around how that would work? Yes. Well, the, the thing is, is that today we don't really have the level of automation that we would like to or that we would have in a resource-based economy. So obviously yeah, right. today we're, yeah, we're, we're stuck with people kind of like, you know, having, having to do the nine to five and then, you know, doing everything else. <clears throat> but the way we see it or the way we want to organize our volunteers is, I mean, we, we, we are very, uh, or we, at least we're trying to be very real, realistic uh, towards the fact that we do live in a capitalistic system. So you know, every single person needs some kind of flow of income in order to sustain themselves. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, you know, any way you want to, if you, if, you know, if you want to build your own house and you want to put solar panels on top and you want to, you want to do gardening and stuff like that, that's not a problem, but you need to sustain yourself somehow. Right. And that's, that's the, the first point. Uh, from that point onwards, whatever free time that you, you can spare for the Venus project, that'll be great. And it will really help us. And at the moment, we're really in kind of like a preparation stage, as I said, you know, making the presentation of all this information uh, really commercial and, and kind of like putting it in people's heads. And, and as well as that, presenting the Venus Project in, in different lights you know, to, to different uh, uh, segments of, of the population. Uh, so, you know, at this stage, a lot of people can help in that, right? Uh, so what we're looking for is, is uh, a system that would allow them to do that without much... Uh, oversight from our from our end, uh, and without uh, much communication between uh, the, the person and us, because obviously you know the, we, we get thousands and thousands of requests. We you know we're a very small uh, group of of long term dedicated volunteers. Um, yeah. So we, what we want to do is want to allow the people to do whatever they uh, whatever they can, but under the guidance of a, a very specific uh, a list of things that they they must do. Um, that would be somewhat, somewhat similar in a resource-based economy 
the only difference, or let's say the, the major difference I see, is that there will be a lot more automation. So yes, yeah. people will be able to do whatever they want. But the major aspect here is that whenever, um, whenever uh, you know, a group of people are interested in doing something and they, they start doing it, and this really gets picked up by the population and it's really liked, right? For us not to really give them that burden of, of saying, okay, now you invented something, you, you have created it, now you need to sustain it until the rest of your life. You know, and, and this yeah. is really a big burden. You know, what we want to do is we want to say, okay, so how can we automate this so we can get the same or even higher standard of uh, higher standard of quality um, that, that 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 you're giving uh, with your invention or with, with the method that you have proposed, so you don't have to uh, sustain it, so you don't have to work for the rest of your life. You can right, you can right. do it. You can still do. I mean, it's it's pretty much like anybody invent, inventing a new method for cutting hair. You know, we want to automate that so you don't, you know, you're not obligated every single day to go to work during your survival. You, you can still do that if you want. If you say, well, you know, I really enjoy it. Sure, go ahead, not a problem. You know, but can you give it to 6 billion people? You know, well, we, we need to take care of them as well. So, you know, whenever you have uh, a new invention or whatever you, you, you want to do something or the way you want to contribute, uh, in a resource-based economy, the, the, the way the way the Venus Project explains it, is yes, you you are informed. You're constantly informed about what kind of uh, solutions need to to come up, what kind of problems we have, what kind of resources we have, and uh, of course, you have free access to education, uh, constant education, meaning there's this twenty four twenty four seven education uh, being being run by different, uh, obviously different kinds of automated systems or different people, um, and when, whenever you are uh, at a certain age that, that you feel ready to contribute, you really go to a board or you, you really start talking to the system and you start saying, okay, so, you know, what, what fields uh, hold the most problems and uh, have the, the least amount of uh, the personnel that, that, that will be, be able to handle those problems? And you will go in the, that direction or you might say, well, you know, I really like Agriculture, for example, you know, I would just like that subject. I'll go in that field. But the general idea is that as time goes by, the more people that go into one field that has a lot of problems, that bring a lot of solutions and a lot of right solutions in a sense that, that, that are right for the problem, the, the quicker those problems go away. But at the same time, we we use the, the science and technology to automate these solutions so those problems don't ever come back again. Does that make more sense? Yeah. How many... Yeah, uh, definitely. What do you think the minimum... What's the minimum amount of people you'd need to pull it off? Um, on, on a global level, you know... We're, or what we're, about just for like one city? Does well, it have to know, be global? Like, like, could you just like, could just a bunch of us go down to Southern Alberta and just start one up? Well, as long as we have the capital, yes. As long as we have ten billion dollars, we, we we can. Yes. Maybe we could get a grant. Well, there's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. there's so many. Could be good if, if Canada would be the guinea pig country yeah. and have this, like, uh, you know, autom- what am I, autonomous uh, city state in there. Like the Vatican. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, you know, the general idea here is to huh. kind of like, so, um, 
Okay with the what company. what about um, documentaries and stuff like that? Do you guys have is that part of your communication um, plan? Absolutely. Up? Yeah, I mean, g- generally, what what we're looking at in a sense is actually to go one step further. Um, we are planning. I mean, th- this has been really in the plan for the past three, three, four years. Um, we're looking to create a uh, an educational program, an, <clears throat> an on-site educational program. Uh, that uh, will enable people to to gather in, in in physical communities in a sense, so we can create a different kind of environment, uh, and as well as that kind of like have you know a, a direct um, influence on on people on a local level, um, which we think is very important, especially in major cities. <clears throat> um, and uh, I mean, once we do that, and once this this system gets established. Um, it would look like something like a network of, of educational institutions or educational groups of people that would go through a certain type of material. And then at, at, at the end of that uh, uh, course, they would be able to uh, communicate that material to other people uh, very fluently. Um, so what we're really looking is towards just making people uh, very independent with respect to information, where to get it, how to analyze it, and how to present it to others. Um, and in this way, we are looking to speed up the educational process so we can move from uh, the stage of awareness slash um, people getting to know the system that we're proposing uh, more into uh, conversations about implementation of the system. And, and uh, that, that, would be the first, that would be the first step, really, uh, physical step, because we would be talking to countries specifically about that. Now, uh, we'll be saying, well, okay, now we, we do have the people support. We do, we do have the population support. Let's move into the direction of, of estimating, for example, how much taxes or how much uh, uh, things need to, need to, you know, what kind of mechanisms need to be organized in that country in order for us to get the capital. Can, can we get it from outside investors? Are the outside investors fine with the government of that country? Uh, can we build a city there? Uh, you know, what size would be, et cetera. So all of these things need to be worked out. But before that, we do need the backing up from, from uh, the people because, uh, you know, everything that I've seen, the Venus Project has really gone out in terms of uh, trying to communicate that to, to major corporations or government institutions. But as you can imagine, this is very difficult because both uh, corporations and governments, they're looking for some kind of return on investment because that's the way the system works. You know, yeah. so in order for yeah. us to really go, you know, make that huge step, we need the backing from the people in order for them to say, oh, okay, yes, we do understand now. So when the government takes a little bit more from our taxes, we are, we're kind of like, you know, we're scrutinizing the government on what, what they do with that money. And we already know that they need to invest that into building the research experimental city because we're moving in the direction of, of a global community in abundance. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. I like it. We should do it in Canada. If we can swing it in Canada, can we call it Grand America? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the, the name, yeah, you see, that's, that's something very interesting as well. You know, it's a, a lot of connotations and, and associations that people have to it. But, uh, I mean, the, that, that's most probably the reason why it's called a resource-based economy. We just, you know, we just want to give it plain and, and straight people it's it's economy based on resources yeah i mean it makes it makes sense i mean we're 
if something doesn't change with where we're going, I mean, it's just not sustainable the way things are going right now. So it's going to be interesting in the next five, 10 years, how much more popular this whole idea is and how many people really start getting interested because, you know, it's not really getting any better on a global scale right now. I mean, it's, it seems like there's, I mean, depends on which way you look at it. Like we have this perception discussion all the time because, you know, there's a lot of people waking up and there's a lot more peace in some ways, but there's also a lot more, more war. And there seems like there's a lot more, um, you know, problems at a global level as well. So we'll, uh, we'll see what, what happens in the next five or 10 years. Yes. I mean, we, <laughs> you know, Jacques always has a reply to that. He always says, well, you know, it really depends on us. And, um, you know, he's right. I mean, you know, I've studied his works for the past six years extensively. I went to the Venus Project, the research center. Um, I'm a volunteer for the past uh, five years. And, uh, and and I do act as a global coordinator on, a, on, a, on different projects. So, you know, I've seen how much he's done. And, and he's really, you know, he's really done a lot. And, and you know, now he just turned 100 in, in March. And, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> he's done his part, you know, more, more than, more than he has yet to, but, um, so we, we can, we can definitely take it on from here ourselves. Um, what's, I will, uh, maybe the one thing that I, I should say here is what's very important or the way I see it, I, I used to live in, um, well, I, I, I live in a former, uh, communist country and, and from all my studies about communism, from everything that I saw, the main, the main problem why, why it actually was implemented in such a wrong way uh, was because it wasn't studied enough mm. and people didn't really understand what they were getting into. You know? So the one thing which you know, I'd like to say to everybody listening and, and you know, <laughs> something that I repeat all the time is if we want to prevent that, if we want to avoid from you know, the Venus Project or resource-based economy becoming a failure, um, as as uh, uh, the the false implementation of, of communism brought uh, the socialist country to failure, um, uh, we we do have to study in depth the mechanisms of how a resource based economy is implemented, because only then could we kind of like uh, you know immune ourselves to to a certain extent from from the many biases that we already have. I mean. Just to put it in perspective to, to, to people, in a sense, um, whenever we talk about technology, especially about construction, house construction, yeah. a, lot, a lot of the groups around the, around the world, they, they are very interested and they're very uh, enthusiastic about this 3D printing method. Yeah. Now, th- this does look like a revolutionary technology, mm-hmm. but when you compare it to something like uh, uh, you know, modular extrusion, yeah. it is very inefficient. Yeah. You know, so, so this is a bias, for example, that's been, you know, kind of indoctrinated into us by, by the current system. Uh, and, and in order for us to kind of like realize and to say, but wait a second, why is the city circular? You know, well, yeah. why would you go any less than the optimal shape? Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. So, so, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very difficult way for, uh, well, it's, it's very difficult for us to, to change our way of thinking if we're not presented with a new uh, new process, in a sense. But to learn about this process, again, is very difficult because of the dissonances that happen in, in, our, in our head while we're, we're learning when the new information contradicts the old. 
Yeah, good point. I, is, say, is, I still don't see how it happens. I think it's a collapse. We've got to be ready post-collapse. I mean, I, I don't think we have to wait long. Um, uh, you know, we, we always say that, you know, it, it doesn't really depend on us because, I mean, if we did have billions of dollars, it would not be, you know, we wouldn't have that conversation or we would most probably in the city. Uh, but, uh, you know, unfortunately we don't. Uh, we, we know how to handle uh, the, these kind of resources and financial resources or physical resources. Uh, we, we do know what kind of companies we need and everything else. Uh, but in addition to that, if we want to avoid this, um, you know, this really <laughs> kind of like Great Depression slash post-World War II collapse, uh, we, we can do that. But it really depends on every single individual that, that is listening right now, that will listen to this, this podcast, that will uh, uh, take the time to learn about the Venus Project and resource-based economy, uh, for us to actually make that peaceful transition. Because, you know, the, the current system works on the principle of divide and rule. And, and it's very easy for, for the media to show in some sort of way that one part of the public is working against the good of the public and they're, they're trying to take down the beloved leaders and, and, and everything else like that. So as, as well as the fact of, of kind of like presenting, uh, in the worst case scenario, presenting a really false representation of the Venus Project and, and kind of like making people believe that this is what we're trying to achieve. This is the reason why I'm saying that in order for us to avoid this, the, or let's say the, the, the consequences of this major collapse, uh, our, uh, our duty is to learn about the Venus Project in depth and, and to spread it on. I mean, the educational process doesn't take more than two years if you take about one to two hours a day. Yeah. You know? So it's, not, it's, it's something like a very short university degree. Yeah. Is, it, is it very popular amongst uh, libertarianism or, or anarchists at all? Yes, very much so. I mean, I, I would say anybody from the left side, you know, as it's called, uh, really likes the idea. But it's also popular from the right side as well because they they see the benefits of, um, like, for example, you know, the right side usually likes rules and regulations and, uh, you know, <laughs> very strictly in a sense. Uh, and they, they kind of like like that as well in a sense that we're using the, the uh, laws of nature as our restriction. Um, and of course, if we can break him through science and technology, like we have with, uh, you know, sending people into space and everything, um, then, then it would be really great. You know, they, they, they're up for that, but we do break them in a very specific manner and we do know how we break them in a sense. We do know the consequences on earth. We, you know, we, it's, it's very difficult for somebody to, <laughs> to fly in a sense, <laughs> unless they use some kind of machine. Um, so, uh, you know, we do get, uh, interest from both sides, but of course, you know, at the same time we do get the, the, the biases from both sides as well, you know, yeah. that will never work because you're getting, you know, you're freeing the people and everything else. Whereas on the other side is, well, why do we have to be restricted by these laws of nature? You know, so you know, it's a very interesting dynamic conversation that we're having. So what about, um, other, other organizations that are doing similar things to you guys is there is there any out there of note and are you guys keeping an eye on them or are they keeping an eye on you and your progress or is there any that uh, that are trying sort of more technologically advanced communes at all anywhere well from my personal perspective because uh, you know obviously we're in, we're in communication with Roxanne and Jack uh, 
and we do exchange this kind of information, but I haven't heard her or him say, yes, there is somebody that is on our level or anywhere near. Um, right, right. But, but there are, uh, you know, from my personal perspective, what I've seen is that there are really two groups now. Um, the major uh, global organizations, which are really kind of like focusing on one thing or, or very few things. Um, an example is Greenpeace. Um, uh, and, and now for, let's say for the past decade, or a little bit less than a decade, there's been so many organizations that are popping up that are presenting themselves as something similar to, to the Venus Project. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very interesting the, the kind of words they use. There's a very kind of like, you know, an emotional appeal. So they're very, you know, the, the, the many words with respect to freedom and uh, eco and, you know, kind of like... Sustainability. Absolutely, yeah, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But, the, I mean, you know, obviously <laughs> people will do whatever they can. Uh, but um, when you go a little bit in depth about that, you see what they propose is really a, a partial solution within the system that we're living today, which is fine. I mean, you know, we, we, we're not really against it for it in any way. Um, but what isn't really presented in those in those organizations is really the aftermath of, uh, of their implementation. So if we just look at anything, anything with respect to self-sustainable communities or uh, earthships or uh, any kind of commune that is uh, semi, you know, high-tech, um, uh, the major problem, in a sense, is that if, if those communities use high-end technologies, industrial technologies, they will need to pay patent, patents to them, to those technologies, to those companies that invented those technologies. Mm. If they use less uh, 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 high-tech uh, implementation, they, they become more slaves to their own living. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would... Go ahead. Yeah, so well, but it's, uh, the only thing I wanted to say is that, as I'm saying, you know, it's, uh, we're living in a system that everybody needs to kind of like find their own survival. One of them, you know, one, some people do nine to five, some people like to isolate themselves into their own communities. That's fine, that's not a problem. What, what, I, what I see majorly as an obstacle is that th- those people kind of like, you know, present, obviously for marketing purposes, they present the idea as if it would be, it would be that, that world that, that we are presenting. And, and this is the reason why I'm saying it's very important for people to learn the mechanisms because, again, they, they, you know, anybody learning the mechanisms will be able to see the huge contrast between anything that is proposed by, an, you know, what, what is called today an alternative organization or, sit, or an organization that's proposing an alternative system and what we are proposing. We're really going to the next level of our social evolution, whereas most of the organizations or, you know, all, all that I've seen uh, are proposing uh, solutions within this system. Right, right. Interesting. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that you guys must have to be somewhat careful in the future, if not already, about... Uh, you know, mole, moles or disinformation agents or people that are that are in it coming in here to, uh, you know, and I hate to sound all paranoid and all that. I mean, but we we're just talking uh, tonight about like paid trolls and stuff like that, right? And mm-hmm. and really, people, uh, um, you know, sabotaging uh, movements and sabotaging. Uh, alternative solutions. I, I, do you guys have to pay attention to that possibility at all? 
Well, to, to a certain extent, I mean, you know, we, we, we do get a lot of criticism on, on, on the fact that we don't really release our designs publicly. And, oh, okay. you know, okay. as, as you say right now, yes, this is absolute. Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that the sabotage will actually, um, you know, produce results that are uh, negative for the Venus project per se. Um, if, if, I mean, Jacques has said that in, in a couple of times, if somebody, let's say, you know, steals the design of uh, designs of the Venus project, and especially if this is some kind of a major corporation, or even if it, they get leaked out some, some way, especially yeah. some of the solutions, some of the technological solutions, if that major corporation has the ability to make those solutions a reality today, there would be mass unemployment in, in, in the numbers of tens of millions of people. You know, just because if you produce a factory that produces houses, then you take out, you wipe out the entire real estate market. Right. You know, so, yeah. you know, it's, a, it, it's kind of like, in, you know, it's a double-edged sword in a sense, you know. Um, it's, it's very important for us to, to make sure that the, the information that we give is it's not really um, the solutions themselves, but more of the methods of how to arrive at those solutions in order for us to preserve the integrity of the information. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So what, 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 uh, where are you going now in the next little while then? Or Darren, do you have any more questions at all? I was just going to ask, yeah, I guess is, is venusproject.com, is that the, the best place to track you guys down? Like if uh, our people who are listening right now that want to get involved in, in some way, shape, or, or form? Yes. Uh, what, what, I, what I propose to everybody and what, what I suggest in general is that uh, what we're doing at the moment is by the end of this year, we're looking to redesign our internal structure uh, entirely. Uh, and we're doing that at, at, at the moment. So my general suggestion is whoever is interested in helping in any way, um, either send us a, an email at info at the venusproject.com or even better, just subscribe to our newsletter, which is uh, the form is right at the bottom of our homepage. Um, and the, the, the general idea of, of contribution is that at the moment, what we're trying to do is kind of like bring out all the stuff that we need done, you know, uh, and it will take a little bit of, of time because we're, we're a small group of people doing it. Um, but, but once we do that, we'll send out a general call to everybody, uh, who, who wants to help. And we'll, we'll, in, in that general call in our newsletter, we will have specific subjects and specific uh, topics that people can look at and see what they can help with. So we really want to do that structure uh, before everything else. So people are not confused and, you know, they don't always come back or write emails again and again. So for anybody interested, www.thevenusproject.com, at the bottom of the homepage, it says subscribe to our newsletter. You do that. And most probably in January or February next year, we'll be bringing out our first uh, first general calls for, for different kinds of projects. Nice. Do you think we forgot uh, any of the major stuff at all, Philip? Is there oh, anything well, else you want to mention? I mean, the, the, you know, here within an hour, the, well, first of all, I would really like to, you know, kind of like say thank you guys for having me here uh, and, and kind of like giving me, you know, your audience an hour of your audience time. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> knowing the Venus Project or understanding the resource-based economy it's really a, you know, a huge process. What I, what I would like to say is that anybody who goes in that direction uh, would really uh, would have a lot of benefit in their life. 
you know, not, not really only as a supporter, they might say, okay, you know, I'm supporting this great idea, but also the stuff that they learn from Jacques, uh, the, the mechanisms of how to relate to people, how to communicate to people. And it's very interesting as well as, you know, so, you know, the, 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 the stuff we sell on our website, you know, like the, the library set and the classic lecture series, they are really, you know, the, the price is really insignificant um, amount of stuff that you're getting in terms of information, in terms of value of, of that information. Um, so, you know, if you do make that effort, if you say, okay, so, you know, I really want to help the Venus Project, and you do sign up for our, uh, for our newsletter, you can, you can actually take that step further and say, okay, well, you know, I can help with physical tasks such as, you know, create some kind of module on the website or do some street activism or, uh, but you can also teach other people, you know, at the same time as well. So, you know, we have many, many different paths. Uh, it's very important for the person to take it slow, uh, to investigate as much as possible uh, before they take the action. And then whenever they like something, to, to get in touch with us and to say, well, you know, we, we want to do that. And that's obviously post Feb- January, February next year. Until then, just sign up for our newsletter. Nice. Yeah, I think it's great, though. We really appreciate you coming on, and I think it's great for people to be able to open their minds or at least think about alternative solutions to what uh, what's going on now. Yes, yes. So, Darren, do you have anything else before we uh, let Philip go here? Who gets to run the joint? Can I get in? <laughs> Can I get that job? Can I be, like, the commissioner? <laughs> yeah, you see, you see, that's the thing, though. You need to make those decisions based on the latest information you're presented by uh, by computers, right? So, How could they yeah, not sure. go with a podcaster? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So who who does get to run the joint? Uh, well, the, the people basically. Yeah, you know, but but what they do is they 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 make decision based on the latest information that they that they get from from computers yeah exactly which is pretty much the way it's got to go eventually here anyway yeah i mean you know it's yeah (laughs) (laughs) unbiased scientific analysis yeah you know i mean generally what what we usually say is in the system you, you can't get that it's um it's something actually that maybe maybe some of the listeners will be interested um when, if you look at the, the post-socialist countries, uh, especially for the past 25 years, you would see something very interesting, and that is um, how difficult it was for the people within those countries mm-hmm. to realize how capitalism works. Oh. Because you have two completely different systems. On one system, you have resources being owned by government, and, and you being told on television and everything else, you know, you're working for the good of the government and the government is working for your good. So whatever they provide you is good. You know, you have to, you have to do whatever they say. Right. Then you have capitalism where it says, well, the resources are in that other person and you need to get it from them. You know, now you see this, this is a huge contrast, almost absolute contrast. So it's very difficult for people who are used to either receiving stuff from the government or receiving stuff from their, you know, employer or their boss or anything else for them to, to, to learn, to have an initiative to go out there and kind of like, you know, in, in, engage in the rat race that, that we are, uh, that we're under in, in the system. 
So um, yeah, this 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 is something that that maybe as as a contrast, you know, to some of your listeners might be interesting. Oh, that's it. I've never thought about it like that. I mean, how long did it take? Was it like was there a it's, point when things started to really accelerate? Like after ten or twenty years of learning how to take that initiative, it's still taking. Is it really? Wow. Yes, it's not. I mean, it's it's very interesting, you know, when you when you see that huge contrast, especially because I've had, you know, I was fortunate enough to to live, uh, you know, in, in many countries around Europe and to travel and stuff like that. But when you see that difference, it's it's really interesting. Uh, and and all these questions come about, you know, you know, how do we make the decisions? Who runs the joint? How do we, you know, should we go in that direction? You know, but it's not. You see that those are those are philosophical questions. Uh, if we sit down and we work out the formula, and if anybody anybody who sees that formula, um, the mechanism is what I'm what I'm talking about. The, the, I, I don't think they'll have any difficulties with agreeing to it. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think anybody else will have uh, difficulties uh, agreeing to the fact that your agriculture will be run by machines that constantly analyze your metabolic needs and yeah, at the same yeah. time produce the fruit and vegetables and meat and whatever it is uh, that, that meets those needs. You know? Yeah. And only what's required and not a bunch of extra crap that's not needed. Like that's the Absolutely. thing. It's, it's almost like the next level. It really has to be the next level of evolution. It seems. Yes. <sighs> right on. After Mad Well, Max. thanks. After yes. Mad Max. <laughs> After Mad Max, yes. <laughs> Well, thanks, Philip. I mean, we'll we'll keep in in. Uh, I've I've signed up to your newsletter as well, so we'll keep abreast of what's going on with the project, and and uh, maybe maybe as things develop, we'll have you on again sometime, or we'll uh, we'll definitely um, yeah keep keep up to date with what's going on. Thank you very much for you guys having me on the show. So yes, thank you. Great. Okay. Excellent. Thanks, Philip. Bye for now. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. And that was our chat with Philip Ivanov. What'd you think, buddy? Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. To, I, I, I get excited with all these things. It's interesting. Yeah. I'd like, what do you think? I'd like to get excited, but I don't know. It's tough. I have a tough time don't, with it. Don't you sometimes just want to fucking get away and go into a collaborative environment where you can just like produce and work and, and be part of something like really good and yet not have to have all the stress of like meeting basic needs like food and shelter and fucking clothing and all that. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to, but no, I like, just you're don't. A builder, you're a maker. Like what if you were like participating and building this project that took care of all your needs? Yeah. And everybody I else. I don't, uh, What? Yeah, I don't know. I just don't see it. Not without collapse. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not talking about the ideal global state because that seems a bit hard to reach to me. I'm talking about just whether you could do it at a, a research city state type thing. Yeah. Yeah, maybe at a research city, but then you're not really getting anywhere. No one's, none of these corporations are. Anyone's going to come out and say, okay, you're right. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, whoa, hold up. 
we're gonna we're gonna put our profits aside and just make sustainable goods that don't uh, break down. Yeah. Oh well, no, I'm, I, I'm I'd, glad be, had, I'd I'm like glad to see the Philip results. On, though. He's he's very articulate about about uh, the whole project, and and I'm glad that we had him on. I don't think he's been you know on too many shows and stuff, and I think it's uh it's good to to. I think it's good to get an update on what's happening with this because honestly, it's sort of it's been around for eight or ten years in the popular alternative culture, but it's just I think it's just going to keep getting more popular as things get shittier on the global scale. Yeah, after Mad Max. Yeah, you think? I think so, but I don't think Mad Max is far off. Maybe fifty years, hundred years. <laughs> really? Maybe closer to a hundred, or maybe closer to fifty. I have to say. Have you Have you seen the Big Short yet? Yeah. What do you think? It's interesting, right? Yeah, that's where we're headed. <laughs> kind of gives you an idea of what's still going on even after that. Now it's happening in Canada. Maybe not yet. No, I don't think that's bad. I think they tightened it up here in time, but who knows? Well, yeah, big thanks to Philip for coming on the show. Um, ad and commercial free. So, of course, check out grimerica.ca slash support for all the different options on how you can help keep us that way. Uh, of course, Yeah, we, I got all the links in the show notes as well. Yeah, he's a pro. Uh, you can just click in the show notes right now. Click on the support. Click on a subscription Great. amount, and away you go. And then go back to the notes, click on upgrade, and grab some entries for the Grammaric Swag Pack and iPad. And you can come on the show and interview someone just like Philip of your choosing. Right? You betcha. All right. I think that's about it. Anything else? Tell your friends about this motherfucker. The Spam Gram. Spam Gram. G R A H A M. Graham, Graham. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
about a heaven in Alberta where they've got all hell for basements.